Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I thought I would talk this week about something that I have been facing. I wrote about this in an email this week to my list, and I thought that I would just get into it, and and I would kind of just explore this with you all. Those of you on my email list probably already read about it, heard about it, all of that stuff. But uh, I'm going to get into it here and we're going to have a nice, a nice conversation about it. I would love to just ask you guys first and foremost that if you are not a subscriber of the Get the Fuck Off podcast, feel free to subscribe. Apple, Spotify, I don't know how Amazon Music works, but I'm there. Um, you can leave me a star rating. You can leave me a review. That would be really nice of you guys to do. These things really help me. Like, and I think in the 100 and now eight episodes of the get the fuck off podcast I might have asked for this like three or four times and I've been watching this anti-MLM content on YouTube every night as a guilty pleasure and what I noticed from one of my favorite creators is she asks for this every single time and I, I think to myself and this kind of ties in with the topic of this podcast but I think to myself wow people are just gonna you know subscribe on their own they're just gonna like the podcast and they're gonna subscribe and they're gonna leave me ratings and they're gonna leave me reviews and they're gonna leave me comments and they're gonna leave tips in the tip jar but guess what people don't do any of that fucking shit unless you ask for it so I'm currently asking um please like subscribe leave a review those things cost nothing if you would like to support me financially uh, there is a tip jar and you can leave a tip in it I do not require big tips this can be a wikipedia sized donation do you guys donate to wikipedia i donate to wikipedia every time they ask do you know why i donate to wikipedia every time they ask because i use wikipedia every day of my life and i give three dollars every time they ask which isn't that much but three dollars adds up when a lot of people give it and that can be the difference between having a resource that is tremendously valuable that's free just existing and not having it and for me it is important to have it so I always donate to Wikipedia that's just an aside um anyway I want to talk about people just doing things on their own without asking I really want to just talk about people doing things I think that that's a good place to start and what I see in my work the most, and it's probably because I primarily work with women, so feminine energy is not the doing energy, but what I see is this uh, reluctance to do shit, 
to be able to get up and just do the shit. So in this email that I sent out to my list, I I said, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I never want to do anything ever. And then I went on to write that I run more days than I don't. And last year I ran 289 days for 314 hours, which isn't that much. That is less than an hour a day. I mean, it's more than an hour per activity if you average it out. But really, it's less than an hour a day, 314 hours out of 365 days. It's less than an hour a day. It's not that much exercise. We are meant to move our bodies every single day. That is not that much. And yet I have never, I I never want to do that. I never, I mean, if I wake up in the morning and I have a genuine desire to go running, it is rare. It's rare that I have a genuine desire to do it. And if I have a genuine desire to sit down and record the Get the Fuck Off podcast, it's rare. And if I have a genuine desire to do anything for my business at all, it's rare. (laughs) I don't want to fucking do it. I like coaching people. I don't like any of the rest. I don't like any of the rest. The rest of it is a pain in the ass. And often, sometimes, pieces of coaching is a pain in the ass. Like, I like like coaching. I like coaching. All of the other shit – I don't like any of that. I built a course in day one. It's an audio program. I'm getting feedback that people are visual and prefer visuals. Well, I don't like visuals. They're hard. They're annoying. They take up time. They suck up hours and hours and hours out of my day. There is nothing in the world that I want to do to provide a visual. But do I want my 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 clients, my students, my members of my cohorts to have a result? Ultimately, the answer is yes. Primarily, people are visual learners. And I know this from my time at Bubba Actually, people retain, believe it or not, 95% of what they teach. So people teaching something is actually the way that they most retain it. But most people are visual learners. Most people are not auditory learners like me. I, I learn by being told. So if you tell me something, I will remember it. I used to say that I would remember unless I was drunk, but now I don't drink anymore. So I just remember everything. But uh, I am an auditory learner. So, no, I don't like making visuals. No, I don't like to make sure that all my damn hex codes match so that everything looks uniform. No, I don't like setting up pages on Stripe for people to pay and setting up paywalls and sending out invoices and creating Zoom meetings. And I don't like, no, I don't like it. No, I don't like meeting new people and going out into the world and networking and showing up in Zooms that I don't care about to learn about new things. No, I don't like sharpening my sword. No, I don't like to read books that were not on my list to read. No, I don't want to sit and have to do something when I'd rather just be listening to music. No, I don't want to do any of that. Just like, no, I don't want to go running every day. No, I don't want to do any of these things. But because I do all these things, because I go running every day, I get to enjoy the enormous pleasures that come with being a distance runner. And part of that is excellent mental health. It is, my mental health is, was piss poor for most of my life to the point where I had crippling anxiety and couldn't do much of anything. And I am not medicated. I take no medications. I'm almost 40. Well, I'm 37. I'm going to call that almost 40. I take no medication, no blood pressure, no cholesterol, no, no any of that. Uh, always have excellent blood work, extremely healthy human, uh, knock on wood. 
don't take any antidepressants, anti-anxieties, antipsychotics. Of course, I don't have a diagnosis that would require that. If you do have a diagnosis that requires that, then uh, of course, I, I advocate for medication if you need it. Um, but I have self-managed all of my, uh, what, what I'm going to go ahead and call men- mental unwellness um, with exercise, meditation, proper diet, proper sleep, and because I was what my mother would call, my mother works in mental health, I would, I am of the category of what she would call the worried well. And the people that I work with are of the variety of the worried well. They're not seriously mentally ill. They they don't have mental illness. Um, but primarily, you know, like, I mean, I, that's vague, right? What is mental illness? I mean, all of us have stuff, right? But primarily, I work with people who are the worried well that are, that are not unwell to the point that they need services, um, psychotherapeutic or or through organizations or whatever they're simply everyday people that are stuck in situations that they don't want to be stuck in and a lack of motivation analysis paralysis uh, being stuck in behaviors that they don't like being stuck in bodies that they don't like primarily that's what I experience and that's what I attract in my work and I, I want to say, you know, for those people that I, I also share that, that all of the stuff that they've got going on is shit that I've got going on. I never want to do it. Never do I ever want to get up and go running in the morning. And I have a better day when I do. I am more at peace when I do. I don't have crippling anxiety when I do. I don't have wars in my brain when I do. I'm able to create more powerfully when I do. I'm able to connect more when I do. I'm able to love more deeply when I do. And I'm able to, of course, experience those moments where I do run a race and I do have that moment where I cross the finish line and I get that that beautiful feeling. Yes, that is nice. It is nice to be able to cross a finish line in a big race and get a feeling of exhilaration. It's wonderful. I'm not going to downplay that or anything. But my daily getting out and doing that every day is really the most precious part of my day. And, you know, people will probably want to jump in here with an argument. But you just said, I did just say that I didn't want to do it, but... when do I start liking a run? Mile five. Mile five is the moment that I start liking a run. It's very rare within the first 30 minutes of a run that I'm actually happy that I'm doing it. But by my, by minute number 40, yeah, I'm pretty happy by then. <laughs> I had a really good experience on Sunday. I ran a 16 and I, I was happy the entire time. But I think that that was mostly mental because I had been uptown in Harlem cat sitting for a friend. And when I was uptown, I was running in Central Park. And I don't love Central Park. I really love running by the water. So I guess I could have run by the water. I did one day, actually. I went over to the west side, uh, the west side and I ran down, back down towards lower Manhattan because I had to go and uh, get a check to uh, write a rent check. But um, besides that day, I primarily ran in Central Park because it was just the easiest and it was the closest. And I didn't love it. 
you know, most of our understanding of, of stuff, it, it's all in the mind. Like our experience of things are in the mind. And running is a mental activity. It's not physical. It's mental. We have proven E equals MC squared that everything is energy. If you do any reading or understanding of quantum physics, you'll get deeper into that. And I experience a heaviness in my body when I'm experiencing denser vibrational emotions like anger, hate, jealousy, competitiveness, all of those things. When I'm feeling those things, irritation, irritability, um, uh, I don't know, resentment, when I'm feeling fear, those feelings, I feel heavier in my body than I do when I'm not feeling those. And um, yeah, we can talk about all of that. And I'm not going to really make this a huge thing about running. But I wanted to just mention that. Now, this podcast is about not wanting to do everything, anything ever. I don't want to do anything ever. I certainly don't want to do half of the crap that I do every day um, in my work. What I really love is having moments like I had today where I met with a one-on-one client and he and I were able to share space. And what I loved about our meeting today, I'm going to give you a little bit of an anecdote. So last week he and I met and he was outdoors because his kids had a field trip. So he went for a walk to have our meeting. Normally we meet in his office, but this time we were able to meet. He was outdoors. I was in my space. And I felt that the energy of our meeting was different. And I noted today as we were talking about it, you know, that it was different because when you're outdoors, There is a part of your default mode, your protector, controller, your ego, that has to be present to keep you on alert and on vigil. And that part of you is always there. And ideally in a coaching session, what you want to do is be able to lower that part of you so that you can actually access yourself. And because he was on vigil, I was on vigil and then, you know, his phone battery died at one point. He had switched his computer and he was outside of a a coffee shop. And it just didn't allow for us to have that period where that default was lowered. Now, today we had an opposite experience. He was back in his office and I'm in my office and we're sitting here together. And what ended up happening in our moments together today which was wonderful I mean really we we had a beautiful exchange that went for only about 50 minutes and then we we felt complete in it was that we were able to just be open and I was a lot able to receive his words and I was able to actively listen to him and he to me and I was able to allow him the space that he needed to be able to kind of um do his processing and um we ended up coming full circle in our meeting and it was a very beautiful, it was beautiful the way that that all worked. That is my favorite part of what I do for a living. Those moments are pure magic because they are not, they're not me, guys. They are uh, of something larger. They are Tao. They are divinity. They are a force that expands beyond my capacity as a human. I become essentially an open channel and I know what to say at the times that I say it and I know what to do at the times that I do it and I become very open and it's that that I understand that I'm in this 
space of selfless service when I'm in that. But everything else, right? Like even even day one, I love day one and how I show up, but the maintenance of day one and the, you know, and the the harder like business pieces, those I don't think will ever stop being a pain in the ass until the day that I make enough revenue to pay somebody else. But I mean, what I want to tell you guys is that everything has accelerating returns. So there will be a day when I am at a place in my business where I'm going to start paying other people to do those things. I can't wait for that day, but that day isn't today. So until that day comes, I'm going to show up and do the things that I don't like to do, um, which is going to include making visuals for the day one course, even though I don't want to do it. But that's how it's going to better serve other people. So I'm going to show up and do it because this is what I'm going to do. I don't particularly love to rewrite the copy on my website. I don't really particularly love to make the website look nice. I built my own website, by the way, and I manage every aspect of my business on my own. I, no one has done it for me. It has been me this whole time. And I would say everything besides the coaching, I just tolerate <laughs> like, I don't love it. But you know, I've worked with a couple of actors and they talk about uh, submitting audition tapes and and doing those parts and even people that have reached a level of prominence or success will always tell you that there are pieces of your experience that just suck and you do it because of your larger why. I there are run, most runs are bleh, in the morning like I don't I don't want to do them but you do it because of your larger why and yeah most of these little pieces of of business are bleh, but I do it because of my larger why and I don't want to do anything ever you know but here's something that I'm gonna I'm gonna say and this is kind of why I started writing that email to my list this week is because I have attracted into my orbit some people that have um, demonstrated if not explicitly then kind of beat around the bush with it they, they might have an expectation that I am going to do the work for them and within my, my first year of business I and even my second year and, and like really like this is real most of us here in the West start as an employee and there's nothing wrong with being an employee. I miss being an employee for a lot of reasons. I miss being an employee because I miss being part of something that attracts all different sorts of personalities that I can just be in without having to manage. Like I can just be a part of it rather than being the leader because leadership is lonely. So I do miss being an employee and I miss being a part of something, being a part of an organization and just being able to meet and connect with people and not have to worry about um, managing them is really is really something. So, but as an employee, you're kind of taught that the people that are giving you your money, your salary, are the people that you need to please. So your superiors are the people that make the rules and whatever they say goes and your job is to just make sure they're happy. And I've worked for a lot of people that were less than ideal in my life and I've worked for a lot of people that were not great leaders and in those cases in the jobs that I'd had you work extra hard to make sure that they're happy because if you don't make sure they're happy then they will be abusive and micromanagerial to you so whatever they say you just bend over and take it and just make sure they're happy now 
that changes when you become an entrepreneur because when you're coaching people, them being happy is often detrimental to their growth. Like you will sabotage their growth by making them happy all the time because you're going to be pleasing their ego. And one of like my Andy's, and I say my Andy to differentiate from me, Andy, the, the, the person that really was the first and only to crack the egg of Andy Scarantino, one of the things that he did so well was that he just didn't give a fuck. Like he, he didn't give a fuck about my ego and he had no problem insulting me. And the first time, and he didn't insult me on purpose, but like my ego felt insulted because the first time I met him, he said things to me that made me so damn angry. I never wanted to see him again. I was like, how dare you? How dare you how dare you be able to say that and know what I'm going through and know what I'm and and really it ended up saving my life because it made me realize how much in victim consciousness I really was and how much I was expecting somebody else to come along and be my hero and my savior and my messiah and my all of these things and I I didn't realize that it was my responsibility to take care of all of the things that were not working. I didn't realize that it was my responsibility the entire time. And I was the reason and the creator for everything that was going wrong in my life. So coaching, nah, yeah, sometimes you, oftentimes you have to make people decidedly unhappy. And there are times where I write posts in day one that are triggering and I find that they are effective. And it's really sucky and lonely when you have a, a group of people that might not be happy with you. But ultimately, it is in their best interest that they get out of their story because their story is the thing that's keeping them stuck in one place. So when you're coming from the employee mindset, you're feeling like what you should be doing is the people who are paying you, you should be making them happy. And as a coach and entrepreneur, you have to shift that and realize that there are going to be people and they are going to pay you and you are going to make them unhappy and that is necessary for them to have the experience that they paid you to have and then it was incredibly hard shift and for my first and maybe even second year of business I attracted people and when they didn't work hard I thought well that's all right I'll just work twice as hard because they've got to have a, a, the result and so if they don't show up I'll just go after them you know I'll send reminder emails I'll poke them I'll I'll drag them along I'll make sure that they show up and I'll just keep pushing and I realized that what I'm doing is I'm enabling um avoidant behavior and I'm not okay with that so I wrote this email about pushing humans up the hill because really what I am attempting to do, and this goes for anybody that listens to the podcast in addition to people that read my emails, is that I am attempting to piss off and repel people that want someone to do it for them because that's not me. Now, what I can do for you is I have an enormous wealth of knowledge. I have, I'm incredibly educated and I spend so much time of my own personal experience researching and learning and doing my own inner work that's the biggest piece is doing your own inner work because you can't take anyone to a place that you have not yet gone and I I am committed to doing that work every day so that I can better serve people but I cannot do it for you and I linked in that email to a blog and I wanted to talk about the blog because the blog was about a concept that I call the manual override and what the manual override really is, is that there is in your conscious mind only about 5% of your, um, your, con your conscious mind is about 5%, accounts for about 5% of what, of your reality. 
And you only have so much space in your conscious mind. Now, to be able to make change, you need to access your subconscious. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that. But one of the ways that you can access your subconscious is with repetition. So repeating something again and again and again and again and again until it eventually permeates your subconscious. Because you only have 5% space in your conscious mind, your subconscious mind will have to let that data in. So uh, that probably sounded confusing. So let's go back. You, for example... Um, only have so much space in your conscious mind. So let's say that you want to install a new belief. And let's say that that belief is, um, let's just say it's a limiting belief. Let's say that your limiting belief is, I'm not enough. A lot of people share this. A lot of people have this belief. Well, you weren't born with the idea that you weren't enough. But you eventually embodied that as a a subconscious belief probably because you repeated it enough times that that five percent that was available in your conscious just became swollen with that repetition so it permeated into the subconscious to make space for new shit so if you say I'm not enough 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 eventually that will go into the subconscious and become embodied the same thing is goes with like women hating their bodies if you stand in front of a mirror and say I'm beautiful and you repeat I'm beautiful I'm beautiful I'm beautiful I'm beautiful I'm beautiful I'm beautiful eventually that space in the conscious part of the brain is going to become full and to make room for more things to live in the conscious part of the brain the critical faculty between the conscious and unconscious will lower so that that comes in to the the subconscious part of the brain and becomes embodied that is what we call the manual override when you repeat something over and over and over again that's contradictory to the belief so for example I'm not enough is probably a common belief that people have whereas I am beautiful might be a less common belief so if you hold the belief I'm not enough or I'm ugly and that's something that already lives in your subconscious with repetition you can repeat a new belief and if you repeat it enough times it'll eventually become manually overridden and embodied in the subconscious mind but people like to say it doesn't work well I would like you to try on for size the fact that you might be repeating I'm not enough or I'm ugly for 40 years and then you decide that you're going to repeat I'm beautiful for 40 days and you still think oh this isn't working I still feel ugly well it's only been 40 days (laughs) you did it for 40 years it takes a little bit longer but what people like to do is they'll, they'll, you know, they'll try it out for a week. Oh, it doesn't work. I still feel ugly. I'm going to go back to repeating I'm ugly. I'm not enough. All that other stuff. The manual override is the way of discomfort. But it's the thing that you do where you actually execute on the thing. So I talk about the manual override. And in the blog post that I wrote, I mentioned people that struggle with eating disorders. And the one really awesome thing that they have to do. Um, I had a conversation on this podcast with Dr. Eric Fields and he did work with people with eating disorders for quite a while and he had noticed that they were some of the most resilient people because they have to do all of the inner work to work through all of the things that that they're going through to be able to let go of that behavior but they don't have the option of abstinence at the end of the day they still have to eat their food because if you don't eat your food you're not going to live 
So you have to do it. You actually have to do the thing. So that is, um, so it's possible. It's possible that you, you can do, but a lot of the rest of us like to pussyfoot because it's not life or death. So let's say that you work through an internal belief that you're not enough and that um, people are going to judge you, people are going to not like you, whatever. Um, and let's say that it has to do with writing publicly. I'm just going to use that as an example because that's something that people tend to struggle with. Well, you have to go through and, and figure out the underlying causes for that belief and you have to identify and then you have to identify any guilt or shame or any of those things that are associated. But then you have to eat your food. You then have to go and you have to start um, writing publicly. You actually have to do the manual override. Um, in this blog that I had linked to, and I'll actually link to it in the comments of, uh, in the episode notes, um, I talked about a couple of different situations and how the manual override works. It's the part that everybody doesn't like because it's the part that's uncomfortable. But unless you override and you do the action, things will not become embodied. So um, let's talk about it. This is what I wrote. The rest of us, we love to pussyfoot. We love the whole, oh, I know why this is. And we go through it and we learn the reasons why we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And then we just do nothing because we're not, quote, gonna die, unquote. So, for example, if you have trouble with sales, first you have to examine why you're telling the story about sales. I had to do this. First time I asked someone for 100 bucks, I almost threw up. Then you have to identify the story. You have to identify the guilt and shame. I have guilt and shame. My parents lost everything they owned when I was a child. Then you have to renegotiate your identity around it. All the inner work. That's what I had to do. And then you have to eat your food. Manual override. Action, action, action. Again and again and again and again. This is what I was talking about in the um, in this podcast. About not wanting to do things in business. I never want to do shit. But I do it again and again and again and again. Um... I used another example in this blog, people-pleasing. Identify the story that you have. Um, I used the example, person was praised by family for, for, for performing. So they build a child ego that insists performance is essential to survival. Then identify the guilt and shame. A person has guilt and shame for being conniving to receive praise and or not standing up for themselves to avoid negative feedback. Renegotiate your identity. This doesn't serve me. I'm not this. And then eat your food, manual override, over and over and over again. We, our brains don't want to do the thing. They just don't want to do the thing. I was part of this community with all of these people and they did this deep, deep inner work and they had these deep, deep breakthroughs and they would close their eyes and they would, and and if you've worked with me, I might have you do this. And they would find and locate and have all of these, uh, and they they just did all this deep, deep shit. Great. Amazing. But then they're stagnant in their businesses. And I'm like, why? Because you don't want to do the manual override. You want to do the feel good releasey part, but you don't want to do the thump, thump, thump part. The thump, thump, thump part is the part that sucks but you don't get to get out of it. We have to do show up and do things that we don't want to do. It's extremely important. And if we don't show up and th- do things that we don't want to do, then we don't get to have the enormous rewards that a person that does those types of things gets to have. So if I don't show up and do a podcast once a week, then I don't get to have the rewards that somebody that has 108 podcast episodes has. Well, it's technically 107 because one of my episodes... 
um, was taken down at the request of somebody. He got a job and he, uh, um, he just didn't want it up anymore. But I still have 107 episodes. <laughs> Uh, 107 episodes. I'm still calling this 108. I don't get to have the rewards that somebody like that somebody has that has consistently showed up. If I gave up after six episodes, then I would be seen as somebody who gives up after six episodes. But I'm not. I'm seen as somebody that has a podcast and does this. I just judged a collegiate journalism competition. Did I mention that already? If I did, I apologize. Yesterday, which is why my podcast is a day late because... I was judging the category of podcast. Uh, a former professor of mine asked me, and I wouldn't get asked to do those things if I didn't host the Get the Fuck Off podcast. I met Martin because of the Get the Fuck Off podcast, because of uh, because of Wisdom App, which I'm not a part of any longer, just didn't seem to work out. But I met a lot of people. I met a lot of community, people in personal development because of that app. Um, connected with a bunch of different professionals that found me because of my podcast, because of my podcast. My podcast was the gateway into the world of personal development when I had zero community. I had the, I had the Whole Life Challenge people. That was about it. So... Yeah, I get to have the rewards that somebody that has this has. But do I ever want to show up and do it? No, not really. I also don't get paid to do it. I mean, I'm not trying to guilt you guys into giving me tips because that's not really what this is about. But it's not like people are giving me tips every week. Like I got a tip from one of my day one members. Thank you, by the way. She's lovely. Um, I got a tip from her um, for one of my episodes that she listened to but other than that no one has given me a tip but I show up but why do I show up it's not because of the tips it's not because of um that I just particularly love to do it it's because it's changing people's lives and I get emails and feedback about how much this podcast has changed people's lives I get to have that because I show up consistently. I get to have community because I show up consistently. I get to have the body I have because I show up consistently. I get to have the clarity that I have because I show up consistently. I am not pushing humans up the hill any longer. Like I have people, a couple of people right now that are straight up avoiding me. Go have a nice life. I, you know, like I don't, I don't care. Like you have to eat your food. At the end of the day, I can give you the tools. I can help you work through it. I can give you light bulb moments. I can give you books to read. I can inspire you. I can help you. I can guide you. I can, you know, give you exercises. I can give you, help you find your passion. I can help you find your love. I can help you feel and understand yourself in ways you never thought possible. But at the end of the day, you have to eat your food. You have to straight up take the fork, put it on the, on the food, on the plate, put it in your mouth, chew it, and swallow. And I cannot do that part for you. That part has to be done by you. And that is all I have for today's episode of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Love you guys. Thank you for coming back another week. I am really excited because guess what? In, uh, I think, a couple weeks' time, we're going to have, uh, I'm going to have a sponsorship. We're just trying it out. And it's for this really cool product that I really enjoy. So I'm going to have some codes for you guys. I'm really excited. I'm not going to talk about it yet. I'm going to wait until it, it's all finalized. But I'm really excited. So um, I'll be talking about that in upcoming episodes. 
Okay, that's it. That's all I got. You guys take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Stay beautiful. And oh, check me out on my website, getthefuckoff.com. Subscribe to my emails if you don't get them. Day one's reopening April 1st. Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com for feedback, love, support, guidance, whatever. That's it. Guidance? Yeah, guidance. I want guidance from my audience. I, I, I would love to hear what's on your mind and what you guys would like me to talk about. Because if I don't get ideas from you guys, then I'm just pulling it out of my asshole every week and I have no idea what you guys want to hear about. I mean, I look at the analytics, but it only gets me so far. So write me emails and uh, I'll see you back here next week. Take care of yourselves, guys, and I'll be back next time. Bye.